Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago Day. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, let's welcome those who are joining us online today. We want to welcome you as well. And doesn't it look great in here for our Advent? It's uh, beautiful in the sanctuary. Thanks to all who showed up and made that happen. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4 as we are in our second week of Advent. And Advent at Imago for uh, several years, we have been in this rhythm of celebrating Advent very differently. About 12 years ago, we started uh, a, an initiative that grew into a global movement called Advent Conspiracy. And the idea was, what if we took back our story of Christmas instead of massive consumer spending? What if we uh, worshiped more, spent less, gave more relational gifts, and then used the money that we saved in not spending so much to bless the world? And, and over the last 12 years, we've seen thousands of churches jump on board with this. Millions of dollars go to clean water around the world. It, it was, it's truly been like a mind-blowing experience. But for us at Imago, it's just become Advent. And so there's no conspiracy involved anymore. It's just completely Advent. Um, and this year, our theme is coming out of the book of Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah in chapter 61 speaks and foretells of this moment where the Messiah King will come, the one who is anointed of the Spirit. And his job will be essentially to put back together those who have been set aside, that, that he will mend broken hearts, that he will preach good news to the poor, that he will proclaim freedom to the prisoners and set the captives free and those who are oppressed. And this prophecy is set forth 700 years before the ministry of Jesus. And today I want us to look at this concept of captive versus freedom. Because it's a major theme throughout uh, Isaiah 61 and also the New Testament in terms of what Jesus came to do. In John's gospel, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When we think about freedom in America, there was an article in Time Magazine in August of 2020 that talked about two definitions of freedom that exist within the American conscience right now. One is a definition of freedom that is a definition of being liberated from oppression to gain rights and freedoms and equality. And the other is a definition of protection of private property and the right to enjoy what you have without anyone encroaching upon it or taking from it. Ironically, those are not just present divides on the de definition. It has existed in our entire history as a country. 
but not just our country, in every empire within history, those two competing definitions of freedom have existed. A freedom for those who long to be liberated from oppression and a freedom for those who had that didn't want anyone to take what they had from them. And it's within that context that as Isaiah prophesies, a king will come who will set the captives free. And I wonder today as you sit there what freedom means to you, what definition of freedom do you run by? What does it mean in your heart, in your mind, in your soul? I want us to pick up in Luke chapter 4 because in Luke chapter 4 is where Jesus himself takes Isaiah 61 and says, this is my job description. And so if you have your Bible, look with me at Luke chapter 4. He has just gone into the wilderness and been tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he returns to Nazareth, his hometown, the place where he grew up. Everyone, we call him Jesus, they called him Little J, Right? Everyone knew him there. It was a small town. Uh, they knew his entire family. They knew his entire story. They watched him grow up there. And so it says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news spread about him through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Isaiah 61 did, in the scroll of Isaiah, it did not say Isaiah 61, right? It is this huge scroll uh, of writing, and if you've ever seen Hebrew writing, there is not a lot of breaks. There is not a lot of uh, grammatical indentations. It is just a lot of words, and he knows exactly with where in the scroll to turn to to find Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. 
And he opens it up to that spot and he reads the prophecy of the coming king, the coming spirit-anointed Messiah, the king who would come to liberate God's people. And he, he, he puts it back, sets it back, and says, I am that king. I am the Messiah. I have fulfilled this prophecy. Now, it's interesting when we read the, the words of Isaiah and the words that Jesus uh, uh, remarks here in Luke chapter 4 is because we have a tendency to spiritualize them. And I think there is freedom to do that. In other words, when we read good news to the poor, we can read it personally as poor in spirit. When we hear proclaiming freedom to the prisoners, we can think of our own inner spiritual captivity. When we think of recovery of sight for the blind, we can think of spiritual blindness or our own inner oppression. But we also must know that Jesus was speaking literally about these things. These were not metaphors for him. And so when you watched his ministry, who was it that he was reaching out to? Who were the ones that he was going to? Who was this king coming to liberate? When Paul looks at the life of Jesus as our liberating king, he sees within the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus the idea that we have all been enslaved to sin and he has liberated us from the power of sin, the effects of sin, and given us his righteousness. So he has liberated us from death and, and slavery to sin and brought us into freedom. That is also our liberation. And, and he says in Galatians chapter five what we are to do with our liberation. In verse one of Galatians five, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In verse 13, he expands on this idea and says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And so these are not mutually exclusive ideas what Paul is saying about Jesus as our liberating king and what Jesus is saying his job description will be. That, in other words, we have been set free from being enslaved to sin to, enjoy, to join our liberating king as he liberates those around us. Well, 
all is going pretty good. They like his reading. They like his tone. Um, they thought he did a fabulous job. And they start thinking a little bit more about what he's saying. They're like, huh, what? And he says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Now, when he went into Capernaum, he was in the synagogue and he was teaching in the synagogue and a man came in demon-possessed and he delivered him from the demon. He was also teaching in a house and the, the people came and the house was full and friends had brought one of their friends who was paralyzed and they tore open the roof and they lowered their friend down through the roof and Jesus healed him. And, and, and this, again, word spreads pretty fast in these little rural towns. And so he knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're expecting. And he says, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the time. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet and yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. It's crazy where he goes here because what he says to them essentially is that not only will I not be welcomed as a prophet in my hometown, but he tells these two stories. And the stories are of the woman that Elijah was sent to, a widow who had lost her son. And she was a, a Sidonian. She was from a people who worshiped Baal. She was an outsider. She didn't belong to the people of Israel. And Elijah is sent to her and raises her son from the dead. And then he points to a man named Naaman, who Elisha is sent to. In the same way, Naaman is an army commander for the Sidonian army or the Syrian army. And he comes to Elijah and is cleansed from leprosy. Though there are all kinds of lepers in Israel, none of them are cleansed. And Naaman, because he knows that he is going back to Syria where they worship Baal, he takes a bunch of dirt from Israel to take it home with him. Because they believed that the land was the land of the God that they worshiped. So he wanted to have the land of Yahweh with him when he went back to Syria. And what Jesus is telling them is while you think you are on the inside and you think that you are free because of your status, I will give my freedom and my liberation to those on the outside who you don't think deserve it because they believe in me. 
And they understand what he's saying now. And we know that they understand it because of their response. In verse 28, it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and they drove him out of the town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow, that is not a great reception when the Messiah shows up at your church, right? Especially when he like grew up in your youth group and, and you're like, yeah, no. And here is the king that comes to them and says to this group of people that are under Roman occupation, right, that I am your liberating king, that I have come to set the oppressed free, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and good news to the poor and sight to the blind. And, and they did not want anything to do with his liberation if it meant him liberating the wrong people, if it meant him bringing freedom in a definition of freedom that they didn't agree with, if it meant that the king of liberation was not the king that they had wanted or dreamed up. They would rather kill that king than worship him. It's interesting to me, we live in this moment where the world has been shaken. Um, and we know it, it, it's a concept that is spoken throughout the scriptures that the empires of the world, the kingdoms of the world will be shaken. And we, I, at least for myself, I've read that, I've seen that, I'm like, yes, yes, that's so true. And then ours is shaken. And I drive around Portland and you see the brokenness and you see that our systems are broken and, and you read of the new variants and you see that the world is shaken and all I want is for it to quit shaking. I want this, this kingdom to get back to normal really quickly. And yet when Jesus says, pray that my kingdom will come, that it will be on earth as it is in heaven, it is a prayer, it is a prayer that invites the shaking of the kingdoms of the world, right? Because his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. His kingdom is one where those are on the margins, those who don't belong, those who are on the outside are now on the inside. It is his kingdom where the definitions of freedom are not our definitions of freedom. And we find ourselves saying, yes, I agree conceptually but when I experience the shaking, all I want it to do is stop and get back to normal. 
And every empire on the face of the earth throughout the history of humanity has been somewhere in between rising and falling and shaking. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that because of this messianic king that has come, because of this anointed Isaiah's king that has come, we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. An unshakable kingdom. And so if I can put these ideas together, it seems to me that the freedom that we have been given is the freedom to be set free in Christ, to be liberated from our love of self and the enslavement of sin so that we might join our liberating king in announcing his liberating love to the world, that we might be a signpost and a witness of his unshakable kingdom, his values of freedom that are different than every other definition of freedom in a world where the kingdoms are shaken. And and that invitation, I believe it invites us to begin to let go of, to let go of the way that we see each other in condemnation, the way that we blame the other side, because I believe that for Jesus, he sees every side as holy, right? And every one of us needs salvation and redemption and liberation. There is nothing to be arrogant about as a participation in this unshakable kingdom because we didn't earn it. We were given it by grace. We're participating in a freely given freedom that cost him everything. And the invitation is for everyone, right? And so this beautiful announcement is that not only do we not have to kill the king so that we can have our way, but we get to worship the king and join the king in bringing this announcement of good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoner and sight for the blind and freedom for the oppressed, and freedom that we have been set free from so that we can serve one another in love. One of the opportunities we have this year to do that is through working with um, Amy Adams, who is one of our uh, wonderful members here at Imago, and I want you to watch this video uh, and hear about her heart and her work and ways that we get to participate with her. I've been working with asylum seekers uh, for a few years, four years now. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, it's, it's been really impactful and an honor, honestly, to, to get to know some of these folks um, who are displaced, who are in the U.S. because where they live is not safe. Um, we have people from all over the world, Afghanistan, from Guatemala, from Mexico, from Sierra Leone. I have clients from all over the world. And many of them are, um, they have taught me a lot about faithfulness, honestly. Many of them credit their relationship with the Lord for their ability to get here and remain hopeful and remain, um, yeah, just do the things that they, they need to do. Are there any other things that strike you as reasons why, why kids often end up coming here on their own? Yeah, um, so there are a lot of different reasons why somebody might flee the country that they call, called home. Um, for children, often it's gang violence, especially Central American children. Um, I have one one kiddo who I'll never forget. Um, just we were filling out all of his asylum paperwork, and um, he basically had fled Guatemala because the gang was coming after him, and the gang had killed other kids that he knew that had refused to join. And I was trying to craft like the legal argument for why he should qualify for asylum, and so I just asked him, I was like, "Why didn't you join the gang? Like, why?" what was your reason? And this is a 14 year old little boy. And he said, I didn't want God to be mad. I didn't want to have to do the things the gang wanted me to do. Um, and I knew, I knew God would get mad at me. It's just an unsafe situation, especially if the gang wants to recruit that child to join. And, you know, they feel like they have no, no way to stay alive and not join the gang. So they come to the US. Um, and these are honestly really great kids and they've been through a lot and it's amazing how resilient they are. Um, now we also have some Afghan children um, who are coming to the U.S. Um, many times they tried to come with their whole family. Um, I've heard a few harrowing stories of um, kids who their whole family went to the air airport in Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban is outside tear gassing people or, you know, trying to not let people in. And basically the family sends their kid um, and they're the one that made it on an airplane and made it to the U.S. and is able to seek asylum here. So clearly, like we have kids in our very community that they've got to the United States through impossible ways. Um, and now they're here. And I think it's really important that we like have a conversation as a church community about what it looks like to share life with these, these people, these kids in our community, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to be like, that's so sad. That should have never happened. I'm so mad. Um, and there, on some level, I think there's like a desire for our community to say, let's look at these big systems and talk about why this is happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, Let's let's put our money where our mouth is and start doing something in those ways. And there's a way for us to show up in a significant way in the lives of these kids that isn't fixing the whole system because we can't always do that, but we can show up with kids here in our city. So as you're interacting with, with youth, with teenagers who have gone through these experiences, um, what are you seeing that, what are you hearing that they say they need, that they want? Mm. Um, well, the first thing, um, the kids that are detained that I talk to, um, want to live with a family. 
they want to not be living in a detained setting. And many times they're only there because there's just no one who has opened their home. Our um, Christmas trees in the lobby, I know that some of, um, some of my, I want to say my kids, but some of my clients um, are going to be on those trees for their Christmas asks. Um, I don't think they would have gotten any Christmas gifts if, um, yeah, if we hadn't put them on, on our trees. So um, yeah, that's an opportunity to buy a Christmas gift for, for a detained unaccompanied child. Um, I think we're exploring other ways. Hopefully there will be other opportunities. Um, we have been talking about maybe starting some sort of mentorship program, but really rallying around these kids and making them not feel alone because they really don't, in many cases, don't have a family member, don't have a stable adult or anyone in their life um, playing the role of a parent. And, you know, these kids have suffered a lot and um, would just be grateful to have anyone yeah. um, to call their family or to even just welcome them in some small way. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully they're, hopefully they're coming soon and there will be other opportunities for uh, ways to support these kids. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. And we will be there as these opportunities um, continue to come forward. Um, thank you so much for sharing these glimpses of this life with us today. And my hope is that we would continue to, to look at these stories, to listen to these stories and say, where is Jesus in this? Um, and today, even just listening to what you're sharing, Amy, I'm like, Jesus is in the midst of this. Jesus is teaching us through his relationship with these, these kids. Um, and Jesus is leading us into invitations to show up with these kids, um, to learn from them, and also to to be able to provide needs that they have um, mm -hmm. in ways that we can with the resources that we already have. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Amy. Yeah, thank you, Seth. <laughs> As you listen to that, <clears throat> I'm struck by the fact that, um, I mean, there's, unaccompanied kids here in our city that have come through, uh, as Seth said, incredible conditions. And it, it's a, it seems like a very small thing to uh, grab a present, grab a gift, and you hear that there are dreams kind of percolating of how these things might grow so that we can see that they're seen, that they're cared for. And I know that for many of us, we immediately go to the political issues of immigration. But I, I want us to think about the fact that, that Jesus sees the person, right? The holiness of every single individual. And we have an opportunity as those who have experienced the freedom that the liberating king has brought us to join him in announcing and displaying and being a signpost for a different kind of freedom uh, that comes from an unshakable kingdom because we have a resurrected and unshakable king. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning we come to you
in the name of Jesus and we think about the glory of your advent and that in all of your power and in all of your strength and in all of your infinite wisdom that you would come in flesh and join us here. That you would not only join us here, but that you would invite us to join you as you move into spaces that most of us choose not to see. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that today you would search our heart, that we would align ourselves with with our liberating king, that we wouldn't be like the people of Nazareth who would rather run him off a cliff than submit to him and worship him. That we wouldn't miss the moment of your coming, but we would experience the true freedom of what it means to be set free by the broken body and the shed blood and the power of your resurrection, Jesus. And that in the midst of a world, in the midst of a moment where the kingdoms are being shaken, that we we would be anchored, we would be standing firm in the freedom of Christ and your unshakable kingdom. That's not right, that's not left, it is Jesus. And would you give us, God, in that freedom, the faith to love one another sacrificially as you have loved us so sacrificially. Jesus, you are our great, liberating, freedom-bringing, hell-conquering, death-defeating king. And you see everyone. And so meet us in this moment, I pray by your Holy Spirit and move us into the deeper places of your love that what we might be a faithful signpost in this city of a different kingdom and a different king. And we would see the prisoners set free We love you, Jesus. Amen.